0: you mm-hmm. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here. Whoa, there I am. Got a hot mic. I was thinking, that sounds a little lower than I was expecting, but I'll roll with it. Yeah, this is a little different. All right, I'll bring it down a level, but it's good to see everyone this morning. We're so glad to be with you. As you could uh, hear from Pastor John, we've got a lot going on right now in the life of our church, a lot to join in and be a part of. A lot to be excited about and a lot of things to invite your friends and neighbors into. And um, hopefully you are going to enjoy this season like I am anticipating and expecting to. Um, As you can probably guess by the title of this new series, we're going to be talking about justice for the next few weeks. And This really kind of kicks off the last third of the year of our teaching. We we went through Love Like Jesus. We talked through the second third of the year, how to serve like Jesus. And now we're focusing on how to live like Jesus. So under that, we're going to be um, talking through this series for the next three weeks called Justice and Mercy. And I want to take a few moments and kick things off by explaining the series art that we have up there behind me. So when you think about it, and you, and you think about the words, you think about the image, and everything, it almost feels like a polar opposite, right? Like you've got justice, and then you've got mercy. Seems like two different ends of the spectrum. Just like the lion and the lamb. Now, if you, if you look up the definitions of these two words, often we define justice as giving someone what they deserve mercy is literally withholding from someone what they deserve so it really does seem like justice and mercy are two polar ends of the spectrum so here's the question for us to wrestle with this morning and hopefully for god to do some work in our hearts the question is which side is jesus on is he more law and order or is he more about being loving and lenient I really want to start where we kind of we, we hear this verse a lot uh, at Christmas time, actually. So, John chapter 1 and verse 14. And I think the reason that we use this so often at Christmas time is because it's this beautiful, really concise explanation of what Jesus was doing when he came to earth and what he was trying to accomplish and who he was in the middle of it all. So, John chapter 1 and verse 14, and I just want to read it to set the tone for our series. It says this, the Word, that's the eternal Word, that's literally Jesus incarnate, He came down, and it says, He became flesh, and Jesus dwelt among us. We observed His glory, it says. The glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, the guy writing this, remember, was John, the disciple of Jesus. One of the closest twelve followers of Jesus. They called him the disciples. So if anybody understood this from a first-hand perspective, it was John. He saw Jesus' life up close and personal, and he literally says, Jesus came down, He became flesh, and He dwelt among us. And even though Jesus veiled His incarnate glory... ...with human flesh, it was still there for anyone to see if they really looked. John literally was saying, we observed His glory. In other words, they saw it up close and personal. The meaning of that observing His glory is so significant... ...because it describes the one doing the observing. The one who's looking. And it literally means to look at something with a purpose to try to perceive it, to understand it, and even to admire it, right? So in other words, what John is saying here is that he and the other disciples just kind of stood there for the three and a half years that Jesus was uh, in his ministry. They stood there in awe of who he was because they saw how his everyday life matched what he taught. So as they stood there, they just soaked it all in. And the final third of this year's teaching, like I said a minute ago, is all about how we need to live like Jesus. It's out there in the lobby. It's, it's in the drive. Uh, the sign's up in the drive as you pull in. So justice and mercy is such a beautiful place to start here because it really comes down to the character of who Jesus is. And now, because of so much of Jesus' life and his teachings are in Scripture for us, we can, with John, we can observe that glory too. We can pattern our lives after Jesus, and we can actually try to live like Him. And that's why He came. He moved into the neighborhood so that we could have the ultimate reference point for us and for our neighbors. So the end of this verse gives us the pattern that we can follow. It's a short but challenging summary of Jesus' life. It says that he was full of grace and truth. Can we go back to that verse, Carter? Full of grace and truth. So those two uh, terms, grace and truth, they're synonyms for our series title here. It could read just as easily that Jesus is full of justice and mercy. And I love this because it speaks in the original language of how Jesus had a completely full measure of both grace and truth in his character and in his life. Now usually for me, for all of us really, because we're not perfect, because we make a ton of mistakes, we tend to lean towards one or the other, right? Some of us are all about grace. We're grace people. And some of us are all about truth. We're all about truth. Some of us are truth people. So we we tend to lean towards one or the other. But if you have all grace and no truth, then there can be no justice. And if you have all truth and no grace, then there can be no mercy. But the beautiful thing about Jesus is He engaged the darkness around Him with a full measure of both grace and truth. It wasn't one or the other for Him. It was both and. So, as we walk through this series, there will be some, some interesting things we get to talk about and challenging things that we get to think through and pray through. One of the things is, you know, the term social justice gets thrown around a lot. And oftentimes, this phrase gets politicized to the point where it means completely different things based on what side you're on. If you're on this side, it's a good thing. If you're on this side, it's a bad thing. But here's the beautiful thing about Jesus and what he does. A biblical view of justice navigates these issues without taking a political side. The truth is not red or blue. As a matter of fact, I'm confident that a biblical view of justice challenges both sides of the political aisle to lean in, to go deeper, and to follow the teachings of Jesus as he gave them, not as we perceive them. So we got to realize, and and I want to say it from the stage often so that we can all understand it and try to live it out together, Scripture is not some archaic, outdated, repressive text. It is literally a modern roadmap for how we should treat people. Something we should root our relationships in and anchor our lives to. So the way that we view biblical justice is a lot like the way we view Jesus here in John 14. He's full of both grace and truth. Uh, Let's look at it this way. Can we bring up that um, image again, Carter? the, The title image? You can see there the picture on the screen behind me The Bible calls Jesus, and we just sang it a few moments ago, I love that song. He is both the lion and the lamb. He's not one or the other. Scripture calls him both, right? Now that can be a bit confusing at first, and that's why I love the image and how it literally is combining the two. Because the lion is used in Scripture to talk about Jesus being a righteous reigning king. It talks about the righteous judgment of God. When I think of how Jesus is the Lion of Judah, that's what I picture, a strong king reigning on His throne. But then, Scripture also calls Him the Lamb. And whenever I hear, uh, right there in John 1, how John the baptizer calls Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, when I think of that, I think of the sacrificial mercy of Jesus. Strength, strength. And humility. I think of how Jesus went to the cross saying nothing, dying in my place. So it's not one or the other. Jesus is both, right? He is the righteous reigning king and he's the silent suffering savior at the same time, the lion and the lamb. Within the character of Jesus, even though we think they might be two different ends of the spectrum, the beautiful thing is they're not opposite, they're actually complementary. They exist in perfect harmony. He is the Lion and the Lamb. They don't have to be complete opposites because there's room in the character of Jesus for both. Now, I know in our culture, the term justice can mean a lot of things. We st- I start talking about it, and I see everybody kind of bristle up, you know, like, Where's he going with this? It's making me nervous. But over and over in Scripture, we're reminded that God measures an entire culture or his people or a church or a family or an individual on how they treat what has been called the quartet of the vulnerable. Uh, uh, Dr. Tim Keller calls it the quartet of the vulnerable. And that's the... That's the, the reading that we had from Tony... ...which, by the way, thank you for that, Tony, uh, this morning. Zechariah 7, and I want you to go there if you can... ...in verses 9 and 10. And I'm, I'm reading from the New International Version. I love how it's, it's phrased here. And um, keep in mind that this is from God... ...to Zechariah to give to his people. So that's what verse 8 was all about. But verse 9 is is the message. And I want you to look at it. Here's what it says. This is what the Lord Almighty said. So it's coming from God to Zechariah given to the rest of the people. Here's what he says. Administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Verse 10, I'm actually calling. That's me. I, did that for theatric effect. Uh, Let's pick up verse 10. It says, Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless. So that's one and two. Do not oppress the foreigner or the poor. That's the quartet of the vulnerable. And it says, it ends by saying, do not plot evil against each other. So here's what God is challenging His people through the prophet Zechariah. He's saying, how do we treat those... ...who find themselves in the margins for one reason or another. And someone's in the margin because they may not have a voice to speak for themselves. So how can we speak and give a voice to those who have no voice? Now that might be orphans or widows because there's no one else there to speak for them. They fall through the cracks, they're overlooked... They're forgotten. That might be someone of a different heritage, a different skin color, because they don't look like everyone else, so they're not given a voice. It might be someone who doesn't have the wealth to allow their own money to speak for them, and so they don't have a voice. But no matter where you go with it, in every culture, throughout history, a pursuit of what justice and mercy looks like has at least these four groups... Uh, of of vulnerability in the conversation. And I love how God directly tells Zachariah's people... Can we put verse 9 back up there? To administer true justice. So there it is, right? There's the justice part. But then where does he go right after that? And show mercy and compassion to one another. He specifically points out in verse 11 the vulnerable ones who are in the margins, and he says, those are the ones, God himself, those are the ones we need to be showing mercy to. Can I pause here for a second and just be honest? In our culture, what you think about those four groups of people are greatly influenced by probably what political party you're affiliated with or maybe even what news network you watch the most. Unfortunately, we, we have a situation where we are being discipled more by culture than we are with Scripture, right? And these factors affect us sometimes more than we actually realize. And you know what happens? People like single mothers, children without fathers, refugees and immigrants, not to mention those who experience poverty on a deep level that we will never experience, these are often the people who get caught in the crossfire of our political arguments. They catch all the strays while we're trying to make a point to the other side. So maybe the best question right here to ask is, how did Jesus respond? If he was full of both grace and truth, if it was a full measure of both, how did he respond while he walked this earth? If he was full of both justice and mercy, what did that look like for him? Well, when I think of this, I could go into a lot of teaching and we would be here for a long time. But what I think of is I think of how Jesus stopped an execution of a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. They didn't bother to get the men or the man. They just brought her. I think of how he challenged people to love tax collectors who they were by far the social outcasts because they were cheats, they were crooks. I saw him, in Scripture you see him defend prostitutes and lepers and criminals. And he touches each one of these people. He spends time with them and he ate at their dinner tables. He included those who were considered gentiles literally just non-jews right as he offer, offered his good news the thing is that makes this such a big deal is the fact that the jewish people really did exclude everybody else from their message of religion and the romans were the biggest group of gentiles in in jesus's day they were the oppressors they were the bad guys And then you had other groups like the Samaritans. Well, they weren't Jews either, and the Jews hated them because they compromised God's law. And so the Jewish people hated them both. And yet Jesus is healing the centurion's daughter, and He's asking for a drink from the woman at the well. It's kind of crazy to me that Jesus made so many religious people angry because He simply suggested that we actually treat those in the margins with mercy and kindness instead of raining down God's fury with justice. But when you look at our culture today, you know what? We're facing some of those exact same issues, some of those exact same challenges where everybody's expecting some, us to lay down the law. So often, doing true justice, just like we saw in Zechariah, seven it looks more like mercy and kindness than it does anything else I remember back in 2011 I was a young pastor over a small congregation in Detroit Michigan and I was just getting ready to make the jump to go plant a church in Madison Wisconsin I have to confess that during that time I saw the issues surrounding the quartet of the vulnerable As issues that should be viewed through the lens of the red and the blue in other words I was I was more worried about the political affiliation of the people in my congregation as directly responding to how I dealt with those issues more than the actual people that that were going through those problems in their lives and uh, I think it sent me on this long journey that, again, I don't have time for because every story I tell starts in the third grade. So I can't, can't tell you the full story uh, or I'll get in trouble for preaching over. But I'll I'll tell you this. What, what started to change my heart was actually to look at, begin to do a novel thing, right? To begin using Jesus' life as a pattern. How did Jesus do it? And... As I left Detroit to plant my first church in Madison, Wisconsin, right around that time, I befriended, and this is going to sound really silly. um, John makes fun of me all the time when I talk about it. But I befriended a handful of black pastors from all around the country because they asked me to be in their fantasy football league, right? And so, like, we're not in the same state. We're not in the same city. We've not even all been in the same room together. But there's about 14 of us. And I don't know what caused them to ask, uh, at the time, a young, bald, white guy to jump in their fantasy football league, but I was the only white guy. And at first, uh, it was a bit intimidating, right? Because what would happen is it was more than just fantasy football. It was more than just playing each other. On Sunday, we had a chat thread and a video thread where we'd talk together and we'd converse and we'd share about our congregations. And the thing was when we were talking about the problems in our congregations, the problems in Baltimore and Chicago and Washington, D.C. were a lot different than the problems I was used to hearing in, in the little Midwest town of Madison, Wisconsin. And I quickly realized that God was using those conversations as a way for me to listen and learn and seek to understand. Because these were godly men, are godly men. Ten years strong in the league. I've won twice, in case you're wondering. Uh, But not that that's important. Uh, These are godly men, though, who were compelled by Scripture to obey Jesus and His commands, and it was so eye-opening for me. So as time went on, I got to hear them talk about things in real time in regards to their faith and how their congregations were responding to meet the vulnerable where they were. And um, we would listen to them, and I would listen to them as they gave and shared their hearts with me and it just so happened that um, while we were doing this one of our uh, one of our teams or one of the families on our team I should say got connected with a, uh, an organization nonprofit organization in town there in Madison to a women and children's shelter where they they served um the families that were going through fatherlessness and single moms who were trying to hold everything together and it was at that time we saw kind of this family jump in I realized that I needed to be in a place in my life where issues didn't have a title that went across the ticker on a on a news network channel. They needed to have faces and names. And we knew the goal wasn't Self-serving, because chances are serving at this organization wasn't going to help our church. It wasn't going to bring people to our church. But our goal was literally to just love people who were hurting. And speaking up for those who didn't have a voice. Well, not even a year after. There were six families in that um, shelter from the storm. In that little shelter, staying in their individual suites. We saw people out of four of, of out of the six families place their faith in Jesus. We baptized those sweet ladies and five of their kids. We're gonna just play a couple of the um, just baptism videos with no no sound, just kind of get a picture of the celebration that we had. I mean, that's so. When I look at that, that's what I feel. I see faces and names and situations and the beautiful thing about this is each of those four families saw each and every one of those families transition out of that shelter to their own apartment jesus became their hope and so now they're leading their kids and i think of names and faces and stories you know what's happening through all of that when i watched them get jobs and hold it down for their kids and be strong leaders of their families you know what you know that scene and how the grinch stole christmas where his heart grows three sizes bigger you know and it breaks the the um, measuring stick or whatever it was like that's the the picture in my mind because as i was going through this And I was seeing these these people, these mamas and their kids come to Jesus. God enlarged my heart so both justice and mercy could live under the same roof, right? Meanwhile, this chat thread from my fantasy football league is still going through all of this. So when things like the Great White March in Charlottesville, you know, they, they tore down the the big statues... and and people lost their lives in 2017... I heard these guys... and I heard their heart... and I heard what their congregations... were going through... through this... when George Floyd was murdered... he lost his life in 2020... I listened to their anger... these pastors' confusion... and their pain... and I began opening up my Bible... to see how Jesus handles issues like this... you know what I found... I found that he was the harshest with the religious leaders who should know better. I saw that when he had the chance to come in and be harsh, when he was the only one who had the authority to throw the first stone, by the time everybody walks away, they realized that they were struggling just as much as those in the margins were. I, I, I see that Jesus always showed mercy to the poor, to the fatherless, to the widow, to the foreigner, to the refugee. And you know what? That's the pattern that we should follow when we try to live like Jesus. And I think that's hard because of how Jesus handled it, right? Because when injustice came knocking at other people's doors and Jesus was there, you know how he responded? he responded like a lion. He was like a lion for them. He was ferocious, he defended them, he spoke for the voiceless, and he offered mercy. Ah, but when injustice came knocking at his door, he responded like a lamb. He didn't defend himself. Scripture says he didn't open his mouth as a lamb going to the slaughter. That's the pattern that we have when other people, when in, injustice comes to other people, we are to respond like a lion. When it comes to our own door, we're, we're to respond like a lamb. As a matter of fact, the same guy, John, who wrote John 1.14, right? He's the one that wrote, We saw his glory up close. We soaked it all in. And Jesus was full of a full measure of both grace and truth. Decades later, he writes this, and I want to read from the New Living Translation in 1 John 2, verses 5 and 6. So John's talking to believers, look what he says. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love Him. That's how we know we are living in Him. So in other words... Do what his word says. That's how you show you love Jesus, right? Now look at verse 6. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus is, did. So here we are, living like Jesus. That's the challenge. If you say you live in God, you should live your life like Jesus did. He, if he is full of both grace and truth, then we know the pattern that we have to follow. Now, this is hard, because when you get a a group of people together from all different walks of life and all different places, then there are going to be different stories and different perspectives. But this isn't about red or blue. This isn't about conservative or progressive. This is about knowing what God's Word says and obeying it. The quartet of the vulnerable literally is given to us by God to not oppress them, to show mercy and compassion towards them. Let me say this. I'll wrap it up with this. You might need to make room today. You might lean more toward justice and think that people who don't fall in line need to be held accountable. Or maybe you might lean more towards mercy and and you think people who don't measure up need to be shown ultimate compassion. But here's my point. Maybe it shouldn't be one or the other. Maybe it's both and. See, Jesus is both the Lion and the Lamb, right? They are each complementary aspects of His character. So if Jesus is both the Lion and the Lamb, then that means both justice and mercy can live under the same roof in your own heart. And if we're going to live like Jesus, we got to follow that example. So the question that I want you to search your heart and answer, and only you can answer it, do you need to make room? Have you been living with one or the other? And oftentimes, it's not really a decision that you make. It's a series of experiences that God teaches you along the way, like God used fantasy football groups and homeless shelters and single moms to show me. But I wonder if you've been living in such a way where you believe in justice but no mercy, or maybe you believe in all mercy and have no room for justice. I'd like to encourage you this morning as we move forward in our church families. We are trying to be a gospel presence in every single neighborhood. And in order to do that, God doesn't want you to pick one or the other. Whichever one you lean toward because of how you were brought up or how you're wired or whatever it is, God doesn't want you to just change over to the other one. He wants to change your heart by enlarging it. You need to make room because there's room for both. Justice and mercy. If Jesus is the Lion and the Lamb, then that means justice and mercy can live under the same roof in your heart. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for these truths that are there that show us your heartbeat. Show us what you're all about and what you care about. God, I pray that as a church what makes your heartbeat is what will make ours heartbeat. God, I pray that as we move forward as a church family, as we live with intentionality and mission in our neighborhoods, it isn't about one side or the other, but God, it's making room for both. God, help us to see people as your image bearers. And no matter what problems or adversity they might be walking through you've placed us in a in a position to be able to help to be able to know them to be able to love them to be able to welcome them into our lives god may we be that kind of church that kind of church that isn't known for justice or isn't known for all mercy but god a church that welcomes anyone from any walk of life to come and to be here together so that we can follow Your Spirit forward as You tell us where we need to go, what we need to do. And God, help us to remember that it starts where we live. It starts right next door. It starts right across the street. God, I pray that when we find opportunities to help those in the margins. God, I pray that you would enlarge our hearts so there could be room for both. In your name we pray.